Jason B. This is my missionary friend, Brian McDaniel. Hey, what's going on, Big Daddy? Hey, how are you? I'm here with Navigate Nate. You in Newport Beach? I found out later he was not in Newport Beach, California. He was, in fact, in Haiti. Yep, Newport Beach. We're down on the beach. We're down here. They're uh, out front. We got... Uh, Nate's pulling the yacht around right now. Brian is one of the most gifted evangelists I have ever met in my life, but he's also a jokester. If you listen closely, you can see that I'm trying really hard not to laugh. And uh, we're getting the coconuts, get the tops off the coconuts, get ready to lay out on the beach. Make sure you uh, remember to get all those tiki torches lined up, you know how the way I like it. Hey, put it this way, it's ministry, so we're going to have the tiki torches that are formed at a cross. Oh, good. That'd be a good tribute. You could see it from 500 feet. You'd be able to see it. That's really what I was hoping for. I was hoping that somebody could walk up onto the top of the hill and look down and just see uh, hey. see that cross. Oh, yeah. Just like with Bailey and Bailey. They'll see the cross. They can't do nothing about it. Oh, I love it when you bring the book of numbers into it. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's happening, bro? Hey, it's your fellow revolutionary, Jason Vreeke. And these are Tales of the Revolution, storytelling with a purpose to bind us together as followers of the greatest revolutionary of them all, Jesus Christ. This episode is entitled A Day at the Beach, but it's not your normal coastal encounter, as you'll soon see. In 1982, Ian McCormick was on a worldwide surfing trip, chasing the endless summer. One night, he went diving for lobster and crab near the island of Mauritius, about 700 miles from Madagascar. What he found would raise the question, Oh death, where is your sting? This particular island had incredibly beautiful turquoise colored water, coral reef, inner lagoons, and then the outer reef at a drop off 12, 14,000 feet. We were diving for lobster and for crab at night, the fish are asleep and the lobster and crab come out at night. So with your diving torch you could blind them. As I dive this particular night, there was a jellyfish in the water that the Creole fishermen called Ombisab, or invisible one. Another name the Australians give it is a box jellyfish or a sea wasp. Cubonus class, lethal to man. In Australia over 80 people have been killed by them and some encyclopedias um, say that the toxin is a hundred times more toxic than a cobra. Discovery magazine said it is the deadliest creature on the planet and I was hit by five box jellyfish. This impact would be like thousands of volts of electricity. It felt as though someone had put a branding iron on my forearm and it was burning into my flesh. When you see black Rastafarians turn white, you know you're in trouble. They dragged me into the fishing boat, and as they did, I thought, what have I done to deserve this? The fisherman told me to urinate on my arm. I peeled my wetsuit off because it was constricting my breathing. I tried to apply a manual tourniquet. I was a lifeguard and instructor in scuba, and by the time I hit the beach, the poison, to my horror, had paralyzed half of my body. I tried to stand up and collapsed. This poison is a neurotoxin. If it had been hit in the throat, it would kill me within three or four minutes. Having been hit on the extremity, fortunately, the poison was moving down my right leg. Had it hit me on the left-hand side, straight into the heart, dead. So my body is desperately trying to keep the poison away, and the lymphatic system is trying to push the neurotoxin away from the vital organs. 
As it collapsed in the bottom of the boat, the child dragged me out of it and tried to get me up the beach on the side of this road as this young boy panics, runs back to the fishing boat and goes back out to rescue the other divers. Unfortunately, the other divers had full wetsuits on and they didn't need rescuing. This jellyfish will kill if you're hidden on the extremity within 10 or 15 minutes, the person slips into a coma and generally dies at this point, never comes out. I find myself beginning to close my eyes, feeling incredibly tired, and as I did, I heard the audible voice of a man next to me. He said, son, if you close your eyes, you will never awake again. Startled by this man's voice, I looked to find that there was no one there. I looked around, no one. I thought, who on earth was that? I was an atheist. I had no idea the Bible teaches my sheep hear my voice. But I was what you call a black sheep. Well, I was a complete heathen, million miles away. But I thank God Jesus goes looking for the, the lost sheep. God loves us enough to go looking for us. I'm hearing his voice for the first time, not knowing who it is, but that voice said, if you close your eyes some, you will never awake again. As a lifeguard, I knew the worst thing I should do is close my eyes. This was not sleep, this was certain death. I fought off the tiredness, I stood up. I looked and I could see three East Indian men in a small petrol station with cars. In Mauritius, it meant they were taxis. I staggered up towards them. They said, are you drunk? I said, I'm not drunk. I showed them my blistered arm. I said, I'm dying. I have to get to Katrama Hospital. Can you take me? They said, let me see your money, white man. I take you. I said, I don't have the money on me. All three of them walked away. I then heard right behind me the same man's voice. He said, son, are you willing to beg for your life? I thought, well, I'm sure these Indians have not seen white man begging in this part of the world. I've got nothing to lose. My leg was nearly gone anyhow. I began to beg for my life. As I'm begging for my life, two men walked away, completely uninterested. The third young Indian man stopped. I found out from God that if we won't humble ourselves, God has a great way to bring a man to his knees. Not to try and mess with him, but he knows that he gives grace to the humble. And if we're very proud and arrogant, which I was, sometimes God's got to humble a man before he turns. Well, I'm begging for my life. I watch one man stop. And to my amazement, he walked towards me. As he helped me into his taxi, I thanked him. I thought there might be a chance that I'll make it. I was still trying to apply a manual tourniquet, trying to restrict the poison. As I'm doing this, the taxi driver, as we drive off, is saying, what's your hotel? What's your room number? Where do you stay, white man? I said, I live with a Creole fisherman in Tamron Bay. I do not stay in a hotel. He said, you lied to me. I said, I'm not lying, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a tourist, I'm a traveler, Sophie. I live with the Creoles. He said, you stay in the Tamron Bay Hotel? I said, no. He said, I'm not taking you any further. You lie to me, you not pay me. The tourists, they look after you. I take you to the Tamron Bay Hotel. Unfortunately, as he pulled into the car park, I couldn't convince him to take me any further. He leant over, opened the door, took my safety belt off. He said, you get out now. I tried to get out, but the poison to my horror had moved from my right leg into my left. I could feel nothing in my lower trunk. I said, sir, my legs are gone. I have the money, please help me or I'll die. He just pushed me straight out of his taxi. As I flew to the ground, I watched him drive off into the night. As I lay there dying, 
Fortunately, one of the security guards had seen the taxi. He walked out with his torchlight shining around the car park. I heard the voice of one of the fishermen, Danielle. He said, Kisa Feman, what happened to you, Ian? I never see you like that, brother. As he runs over towards me, his torchlight picks up the scars from the box jellyfish. Without me telling him, he recognized the marks, carrying me in his arms. And this dear man that you see um, is no longer with us. Fortunately, he became a Christian while I was in Mauritius. It was amazing. He's one of the strongest men in the village, and yet one of the most gentle men. Well, I am now in his arms, as this gentle man, Danielle, carries me into the hotel. The Chinese were sitting by the swimming pool playing mahjong. They looked at me and they said, are you drunk? I said, no, I've been stung by this deadly jellyfish. On bizarre. I need to get anti-serum. I have to get to the hospital in Katrabon. Can you help me? The man stood up, looked at my arm from a distance, and thought I had been injecting heroin. I said, this is not heroin. This is a jellyfish. Deadly. Ignored me. Next minute, out of the corner of my eye, I saw my, in my finger digits, involuntary contractions and spasms hit my forearm, and I watched my arm begin to spasm in involuntary um, contortions. It hit my chest. My lower jaw began to smash up into the upper jaw. My left arm began to shake violently. And within seconds, I went into what I can only describe as the death rattles. I knew that I was in serious, serious trouble. It didn't help me to know how I died, but I knew how I was dying. As my body is shaking, these men physically try to restrain me. Unable to do that, I found that I was throwing them off. I then stopped shaking and went incredibly cold. Right into the core of my bone marrow, I felt necrosis, death, enter the tips of my feet and an icy cold death coming up into the core of my bone marrow. I said, I'm freezing. Can you please get blankets? I'm freezing to death. The men ran into the hotel, stripped blankets, began wrapping me up. The older Chinese man thought I'd ingested a poison, came back with a glass of milk and tries to pour milk down my throat. I said, sir, it's not in my stomach, it's in my blood. Milk will not help. I have to get anti-serum. Can you please take me in your car to the hospital? His Mercedes-Benz was in the car park. As he looked at it, he put his hand on my shoulder. He said, oh, my car? No, no, no. Cannot take my car. How come you're so worried, white man? Wait for ambulance for you. Don't worry. I thought, I'm going to hit this guy. Who felt like rearranging someone's face? Well, by nature, I was not an angry man, but I tell you what, at that point, I wanted to hit him. As I tried to hit him, my hand wouldn't respond. I thought, great, paralyzed, can't even hit this turkey. So I tried my left hand. I thought, well, I'm not a southpaw like my dad. No use giving him an uppercut, but I could grab his shirt, rip him into my forehead, and give him a headbutt. So I'm just about to reach up and rip him into my forehead, and I hear the voice for a third time. It said, son, if you hit him, the toxin's so close to your heart. The adrenal rush will kill you. I thought, that's mostly true. If I hit him, I could hasten the death process. I thought, well, I could look away, control my anger, and get him later. As I'm turning to my right, controlling my anger, to my amazement into the car park, flies an ambulance. I see Danielle run out of the reception and realize what he's done. Not only has he carried me in, he knows how serious this is and is called the local hospital, his hospital, the Creole Hospital. As the ambulance arrives, he carries me into the ambulance. We began racing towards the hospital. Partway there, I begin to see what appears to be a video clip of a young boy's life. 
As I watch sections of my life race before me, I realize this is my life. Although that happens before people die, I quickly check my vital signs. My mind succinctly said, you are nearly dead. Oh, that if I died now, even before I got to the hospital, is there life after death or nothing? I thought, well, I'm convinced that when you die, there's nothing out there. I thought, but I'm a gambling atheist, and I've been wrong before. Well, I lay there, and I thought, well, as a gambler, I have made bad choices before, and if I'm wrong about life after death, what could possibly be out there? I thought, well, I'll soon find out. Unbeknown to me on the other side of the world, as I'm hearing this voice speak to me, there's someone else that's hearing God speak. Well, my mum was the only Christian in our family. Unbeknown to me on the other side of the world, God is telling my mum, your outer son Ian is nearly dead, pray for him now. Well, my mother had heard God speak to her when she came to a Christian when her mother died. And here she is, literally on her knees in front of me. I am literally watching her, and she speaks to me these powerful words. She said, Ian, no matter how far from God you may be, son, no matter what you've done wrong, if you call out to God from your heart, God will hear you, and God will forgive you, son. These are the same words my mother had told me when I walked away from my confirmation at the age of 14. I'd been confirmed. I'd never heard God's voice. When I prayed, it seemed to go to the ceiling and come back down. And I remember asking my mother if she'd ever heard God speak to her. And she said, yes, when, my, when her mother died, my grandmother and I literally walked away from church that day. And as I walked away, with tears in her eyes, she told me, call out to God no matter what you do in your life, son. He will hear you. He'll forgive you. Well, I'm now 26 years of age, 12 years later, exactly the same words, and my mother's on her knees praying. I thought, God, which one? If there is a God, how could he forgive me? It'd be too late. And there's so many gods to choose from. God, if you exist, I need to see you to believe. Show me your face. As I lay there, no face appeared of any of the so-called gods, only my mother. I thought, well, mother is not God. Well, I lay there and I thought, could mother be praying to the true living God? I thought as a young man growing up, I had given Christianity a fairly good going. Eh? I was christened, I was confirmed, I knew how to stand up, sit down and kneel and read the liturgy. I'm lying here going, if there is a God and it's Jesus, what prayer would you pray that's Christian? I thought my mother taught me when I was a little boy the Our Father's Prayer. How many prayed that one? I thought, well, I've prayed that. No harm. What have I got to lose? As I tried to pray the Lord's Prayer, my mind went completely blank. My mother said, Ian, not from your head. Pray from your heart. I said, God, my heart's like stone. If you actually exist, help me to pray. I can't remember the prayer. As I said that, suddenly words appeared in front of me. Forgive us our trespasses and sins. I thought, well, that means forgive us of all our sins. How could God forgive me all my sins? Surely I have to do something. I thought, well, it's pretty hard to do that. I'm nearly dead. I said, God, if you're out there, I have no time to list all my sins. There's so many. But if you can forgive a man like me, I sincerely ask you to forgive me all of my sins. The words disappeared. Fresh words came up. Forgive those who've trespassed and sinned against you. I thought, well, I can do that. I can forgive anyone. No matter what they've done to me, I forgive them. As I said that, the face of the Indian taxi driver appeared a foot away from me. The voice said, will you forgive this Indian taxi driver for pushing you out of his car tonight and leaving you for dead? I thought, you must be joking. Suddenly, the Chinese hotel owner appeared a foot away from me. The voice said, will you forgive this Chinese hotel owner for not taking his car tonight and leaving you to die? 
I thought actually forgiveness was not the top of the list. I was going to lay my hands upon them. I lay there and I thought, I am talking potentially to a person called Almighty God. And we know that gets a little bit more serious. And I said, God, I will forgive them. If you can somehow forgive me, it should be an absolute miracle. I forgive these men. I will never touch them. I'll never lay my hands upon them. Instantly their faces disappeared. Fresh words came up. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I thought that means God's will be done on earth. I thought today it has been my will. I'm independent. I'm self-sufficient and proud of it. As Frank Sinatra said, I did it my way. How many know doing it God's way may cramp your lifestyle somewhat? I thought whatever God's doing up in heaven has got about zero to do with my life down here on earth. I thought if I'm going to pray this with any integrity or sincerity, I have to admit I'm wrong, humble myself, and surrender my life to the will of God. As I lay there, I said, God, I have never given my life to you. But if I come through this, I will seek your will for my life. And I'll try and do whatever you're doing in heaven and try and live it on earth. Please forgive me. I did an absolute miracle. I am nearly dead. Suddenly the entire prayer appeared before me. As I prayed it and finished it, extraordinary presence came into that ambulance. And that peace hasn't left me in 32 years. I thought, what a time to find out that Jesus is real. I wanted to cry, but I'd been taught men don't cry, only boys. So I suppressed my emotion. Suddenly the ambulance doors swung open. I was at the A&E at the Victoria Hospital. They carried me into the wheelchair. I could feel myself coming out of my body. As they raced me into the hospital, the nurses tried to take my blood pressure, no pulse. Tried two machines, no pulse. The nurses began to smash my hand, trying to get in a drip feed, but my veins had gone. They couldn't even get a line in. Eventually got a line in, and the veins went up, and the fluid went into it, and then they were massaging it, trying to physically move it as they shoved syringes full in, trying to get it to move inside my veins, but my veins and, and valves had collapsed. The doctor said, son, keep your eyes open or you will die. We're trying to save your life. This is anti-serum for the poison, dextrose for the dehydration. Stay with us. I could hear every syllable they said, but I could no longer respond. I lay in that, in that hospital thinking, I must keep my eyes open. If I close my eyes, I said, I'll die. Back on the beach, the voice said, if I close my eyes, I'd never wake up. Well, I had no strength. I shut them. How many have done a power nap? Anyone done a power nap and powered off for three or four hours? And, well, I thought, I'll close my eyes, get a f strength again. The moment I did that, I felt something release out of my body. The machines that were monitoring my vital signs flatlined. And I was pronounced clinically dead. Everything went pitch black. We had been lying down. I was now upright. I thought, did I die? Have I left my physical body? Or have we had a power cut in this third world hospital and I've woken up in the dark? I thought perhaps I've woken up in the dark. My pupils must be dilated. So I turned around looking for light. Unable to see any, I thought, well, where's the light switch? I'll turn the wall, turn the light on. Well, I'm reaching out for the wall, can't find it. I thought, where's my hospital bed? There should be a lamp next to it. Great. Now you've lost your bed, you idiot. How did you do that? As I'm groping around trying to find my hospital bed, a table, anything physical, I thought it's so dark in here, you can't see your hand in front of your face. So I brought my right hand towards my face, and my hand went straight through my face. I went, that's impossible. Two hands, you can't miss your face. 
Both hands go straight through my face. I thought, where's my chest? Both hands go straight through it. I'm standing there realizing the darkness isn't just physical, but there's an evil presence. How many have found evil, raw, unadulterated, demonic evil on this planet? Will you imagine just magnifying that about 100,000 times over? I literally feel like something in this darkness is looking at me. I feel movement coming towards me. I then hear a voice to my right screaming at me, said, shut up. I said, nothing. Embrace myself for the impact. Another man, you deserve to be here. I said, deserve to be where? Where am I? Another man, you're in hell. Now you shut up. I thought, hell? I don't believe in it. If this is hell, where's the party? I thought, well, I'd heard from religion that it would be Dante's Inferno. Rotting corpses and maggots trying to eat it, little boys running around with red jumpsuits, horns, tail, and a trident pitchfork. Put another one on the Barbie tonight, is it? Rotisserie? Haven't you seen all these wonderful macabre pictures? I'm now realizing my rotting corpse must be back in the hospital. This is a spiritual place. How many have heard of Psalm 23? The Lord is my, I shall not, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of, I shall fear no, for thou art with me. Who had I given my soul to in an ambulance before I died? Jesus. As I stood there, incredible light shone into the darkness. As it shone into the darkness, it touched my face. I felt this incredible weightlessness, and I began to lift up into the light. How many have seen sunlight come through a window and, and dust go up in it? I felt like a speck of dust being drawn up into this light. How many know when Christ returns, it says those who are alive will be caught up into the air? Colossians 1.13 says that God has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. Those walking in darkness, Isaiah said, have seen a great light. As this light shone upon me, I began moving up into it. I thought, is this real? I looked behind me, and far beneath me, I could see the darkness dissipating. I thought, then I remembered a story in, in my Sunday school of Lot's wife. Remember, God said when they took them out of Sodom and Gomorrah, do not look back. The angel said, don't look back. I began moving up into this light. Waves of white radiant light moved up. It had the intensity of laser light, but as it swept into me, I felt comfort. This comfort swept into me and hasn't left me. The next wave of light that came up was peace. From the tip of my head to the base of my feet, I moved further down, and next minute I felt another wave of light, absolute joy. As I looked towards it, it got brighter and brighter. It didn't hurt my eyes. I thought, what on earth is it? It would make a million suns look yellow, a mountain of diamonds look dull. What is that light? He said, Ian, do you wish to return? As I heard his voice, I realized it was the same voice that led me through the Lord's Prayer, same voice that talked to me on the beach. But this time he knew my name. I said, return where? If I'm out of my body, I don't know where I am. I wish to return. I said, are you the true light? He said, Ian, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I thought, what? God is light. As I'm standing here, I'm going, if that's God, what on earth am I doing here? And where I'd been unable to cry in the ambulance, I began to weep like a small child. The more I tried to stop the tears, the worse it got. 
God then showed me that when I prayed in the ambulance, he didn't forgive some of my sins. He had forgiven all of them. In fact, the words he was teaching me were straight out of the New Testament. In two verses beneath it, it says, if we confess our sins to God, the blood of Jesus will wash away all of our sins, not just some of them, all. He said, Ian, though your sins were scarlet red, when you prayed in that ambulance, I cleansed your spirit from every dark, defiling, evil, demonic presence. I set you free in that ambulance. God so loved the world, he sent his son to save it. And perfect love casted all fear. All sense of fear and judgment had gone. I was totally and absolutely loved back to life. And to my amazement, I was lying back in the hospital, but no longer in the action emergency. It appeared as though I was in a morgue on a slab. I had a young Indian doctor, a totally different doctor, holding my foot, cupped in his left hand. With his right hand, he had a scalpel or a sharp knife. He was pricking my foot like a dead piece of meat. Unbeknown to me, I'd been certified in the A&E dead, and the next doctor had to basically check it. The last thing he was doing was checking the nerve endings to the base of the spine. Suddenly his corpse opened its eye and looked at him. This poor doctor went through the ceiling. You could see him looking at me, wondering whether he had caused the body to twitch with a, with a nervous, you understand, he had a nerve, or he had the evil eye looking at him. As we're both freaking out, I hear the voice of God say, Son, I've just given your life back. I said, God, if that's true, can I look out my other eye? I'm getting sick of looking at him. As I rolled my head to the left, I opened my left eye, and to my amazement in the doorway with nurses and orderlies jam-packed in the doorway, as they saw me look at them, one nurse jumped back in fright. Her friend was looking over her shoulder, and in slow motion smashed her in the gym, and they went flying back onto the ground. As I'm watching this take place, the entire doorway of nurses and orderlies disappear. I thought, well, that's not exactly someone coming back from a near-death or a coma. That looks like they've just seen a dead person come back to life. I turn back to the doctor and he's stuck in time and space with my foot. I watch him slowly put my foot down and I thought this guy's gonna run too, but he stopped. He said, we've done nothing to bring you back. You've been dead 15 to 20 minutes. And I could see him wanting to draw out of me what I'd seen. I thought if I tell him what I've seen, he might have me shot up with Prozac and throw me in the funny farm. I said, God, if you've touched my body, can you please heal it? Because if I've been dead more than three minutes, no oxygen to the brain, I will potentially be on a machine the rest of my life. Can you do another miracle and heal my body? If not, I'd rather be dead. I don't want to live on a machine. I felt power like electricity go through my physical body, wave after wave of it. As this powerful current went through me, within three or four hours, I was completely healed. I walked out of the hospital totally healed the next day. Big thanks to Ian McCormick. Due to time constraints, only a portion of his story could be shared on Tales of the Revolution. You can learn more about him at his website, aglimpseofeternity.org. You can also find links to his full testimony and books concerning his experience. And a reminder you'll find at Ian's website is one that I would like to repeat. That experience never supersedes the Bible, the Word of God. That's God's main communication to us. His story was also made into a movie in 2014 entitled, 
the perfect wave. A beach trip is one of the most fun and memorable things a family can do. Earlier this year, our family decided to pack up and take the old minivan down to the beach for a trip ourselves. We have some family down near the outer banks of North Carolina as well, so we got to see them. My oldest son, Isaiah, really wanted to go fishing. Of course, the day we decided to go fishing, it rained. After visiting with family and rescheduling fishing, we headed back to the hotel. In a downpour. And I'm not just talking about rain, I'm talking about torrential rain. You could hardly see in front of you. And so, I got nervous. This model minivan that I've got has a problem with the belts coming off during heavy rain. And it's happened to me a few times. So I said to my wife as we were driving, hey, if this rain gets really bad, we're gonna have to stop. The belt's liable to come off. So then sure enough, as we're going along, I heard a thump and I knew it, the belt had come off. The power steering went away and I was struggling to turn to get off the road. And all the lights came on in the dash and it's telling me that the alternator is no longer charging the battery. The AC went to warm and I knew what was going on. So we got pulled over into this tiny little gravel lot right next to an abandoned building, a store or something. So I turn off the car and I pop the hood and I look directly at the belt drive. And I can't believe my eyes. I blink my eyes a few times to make sure that what I'm seeing is real. The belt is in place, and not only that, it's completely dry. And I even touched it to make sure. But I knew that belt had come off. I know exactly what it's like, and I heard it come off and the power steering went out, and all the lights came on in the dash. So I was confused, shocked. So I shut the hood and started the van. And I checked it. The AC was cold, there were no lights on in the dash, and the power steering was working fine. So I tell my wife, in disbelief, the belt is fine, and everything's working. And she's shocked because she's been through this before. We've had several of these vans. We kind of have some experience with belts flying off, unfortunately. So even as we're in shock, we decide, well, we better keep going. We need to get to the hotel. Thankfully, the rain was letting up a little bit. And earlier, when I said it was a downpour, I was not exaggerating. But now, it was just sprinkling. I guess that's what they say about North Carolina. If you don't like the weather, just wait a minute. So we head out back on the road again and everything's working fine. And not a minute passes until we see a car over in the ditch on the right side of the road. During the downpour, apparently, an elderly woman had driven her Buick into the ditch. And so this elderly woman is walking around near her car, which is going to require a wrecker. Another woman is on the other side of the road where she's parked her car. She's not quite as advanced in years, and she seems to be waving us down. So we stop and ask, how can we help? As soon as we stop, though, a calm comes over her, an almost eerie calm. And she says, oh, we're fine. Can you just stay where you are so you can block the other cars so we can get across the street to my car? It was a two-lane road, so we stayed put. We asked her if she would like for us to call a tow truck, 
And she said, no, no, we've got a phone. So they got across the street to the younger lady's car safely. And then we drove away. We were silent for a bit, not sure what to make of all this. Had we not pulled over when we did, it could have been us with our vehicle in the ditch, or it could have been worse. This woman could have died. And I'm telling you, I know what it feels like when a belt comes off and the lights in the dash indicated, like I said, the alternator was not being turned and I could hardly steer. So that means the belt wasn't turning the power steering pump. And then I heard a voice in my head that gave me chills then and even now. And the voice said, that's because an angel took the belt off your vehicle and then put it back on. And I spoke those words out loud to my wife. An angel took the belt off and put it back on. In a way, it made sense. The thought rang true, and we became silent and then emotional. I think of the timing of it all, how it was just right. I don't know if you believe this, but I was there, and I have no other explanation. One thing I can say, this is not what you normally expect from a family beach trip. Well, the stories for this time are over, but that doesn't mean it has to end. Go to talesoftherevolution.blogspot.com and don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and more. This has been Tales of the Revolution with Jason Vreeke. This episode was entitled A Day at the Beach. For now, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, and the greatest revolutionary of them all.